Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see every one of you here in worship uh, today. Thank you, those of you who uh, led us in prayer. Uh, I thought that was really uh, a great picture of the congregation uh, leading one another, which is definitely uh, definitely a picture that, um, that we find in the New Testament, actually, that everyone comes and has something to bring to, uh, to worship. So thank you to those of you who took part. A bit of a challenge for me this morning, because uh, I'm going to be concluding our series, Ancient Wisdom, New Reality, looking at, um, looking at, at our, our, our um, vision statement and our uh, our objectives as a church and, and looking at where they're rooted in scripture but also how they apply in the new reality uh, we find ourselves in these days. Um, it's also uh, important to, for me, I think, to make reference to the, the Jubilee and the example of the Queen and it's also Pentecost Sunday. So I'm going to try and cover all three of these in this sermon and um, uh, you'll be the judge of, of how well I've done that. by. Um, without design, we've been trying for some time to get together those who are willing uh, from the team that we had before COVID uh, struck uh, to lead us in prayer ministry uh, in our services. And um, it's not by design, uh, except perhaps the, Lord, perhaps the Lord's, that it's Pentecost Sunday and for the first week we, we do have people available to pray with you. So after the sermon, um, if during the last period of worship or, um, or after the service is completed, you would like prayer for anything, just come to the front, there'll be a couple of people here more than willing to pray for you. And um, uh, yeah, I encourage you to do that. There's nobody here who doesn't need prayer in some way. Uh, we all need it. Um, and um, obviously it's gonna be a bit of a challenge if you all come forward for prayer, although, you know, we'll get over that somehow. Um, but um, the church is a community that's praying for each other. That's a really beautiful picture. So don't be shy in coming forward and making use of that. All right, well, let's just recap. Um, can I have the next slide, please? Our vision statement that we covered in the first three weeks of this series is to, or three or four weeks, I think, uh, to honor God by building authentic, courageous, and generous Christian community. And uh, I've highlighted that we have four strategic objectives. And we're coming to, we, over the last three weeks, we've looked at, at the first three of these, and now we come to the last of these inspiring leadership and so it, it's on our hearts in this church that in this church we would raise up new leadership particularly young people to lead the next generation of the church it's great to see josh you sang fantastic so much potential i mean you're brilliant and chris is already beginning to get this going in the area of the, the worship team looking for new people to raise up into leadership. And so this morning, we're going to think about leadership. Now, perhaps you'll think, I'm not in any form of leadership. Perhaps you're retired. You're thinking, well, I'm not in leadership in the workplace anymore. Or perhaps you are, but perhaps you're not. Or perhaps you're thinking, I'm not, are you, maybe I used to be in leadership in the church, but I'm not really in leadership in the church anymore. Well, I think the theme of leadership applies to us all. And... Uh, and we'll come to that as, as we go through. Perhaps I could have the next slide. Here's some basic principles about leadership. The first thing to say is that leadership in any human community or organization, and the words community and organization are essentially 
two sides of the same coin. Any group of human beings that starts meeting together will, have, will start to develop a community life. And whereas the word community fo focuses on the relationships within a group, the word organisation focuses on the purpose of any, of any community. So the same thing, organisation, community, means basic, refers to the same thing, but it, it stresses either the purpose of that, that community or the relationships within that community. And the first point I want to make is leadership is inevitable. This is established sociological fact. Sometimes people have this pipe dream of a community in which there's no need for any leadership at all because it just all happens and it's all egalitarian. Nobody's in any position above anybody else and we just, and people try to do that. But what actually happens if you set out to do that is that the strong characters just start to lead. In the Pentecostal church I grew up in, it was a fairly small church and there was a very great emphasis placed upon spontaneity. And so the idea, a bit like this morning really, where there would be a time of prayer, but um, it had to be spontaneous. But what you find over time is that the same people keep being spontaneous. And, um, and actually, although there's no formal leadership over that part of the service, actually leaders emerge. And so, absolutely it is clear that no organisation can exist without some form of leadership emerging in some way. Now, I'd love to spend the next two hours going through that because there's a huge body of work around that uh, that I find fascinating, but I'm working really hard to throw overboard the stuff you don't need or we don't have time for. So I'll just leave it at that. But the point being that this holds true whether you're talking about a small family or a nation state. Pe from parents to presidents, every group of human people that is organised in some way together has leadership. Now, if we define leadership in its broadest possible sense, there's all sorts of possible definitions we could have of leadership, but I'm going to go for a really broad one this morning, that leadership in essence is a relationship of influence. So if, if I'm friends with someone, in one sense, although I'm not in any formal position of leadership, I will be exerting influence over them. And if we take that kind of definition of leadership, it is evident that we are all leaders, all the time. We're leading somewhere the people around us. Now, leaders, I want to suggest, if we were going for a definition of what is a leader, a leader is someone who in some way has responsibility for the health of a community or organisation. And once again, if we think in those terms, that's everybody has some kind of leadership role in every community or organisation we're involved in. You can, as an individual, without any formal position of leadership, although it's equally certainly true if you have a formal position of leadership, you have an impact on the health or ill health of that organisation. You're always leading somewhere. So with the words that we say, the attitudes we demonstrate, our behaviour, we're constantly making a small contribution to the culture of our family, our workplace, our church, our friendship group, whatever. And so, the, so leadership is a reality. The question is, what sort of leadership will we exert? The qualifications for good leadership, and we find this in the Bible, and we'll turn to the Bible in just a moment, are twofold. To get into, it, to, to influence people, on one level you can influence peop people just by being gifted or persuading other people that you're gifted. 
having some talent. These days, people become famous and they become influencers um, with almost no gifts whatsoever, as far as I can tell. They're sort of famous for being famous. And, um, and with the skillful manipulation of social media, you can present a, vision, a version of yourself that is completely, um, you know, uh, insincere, inauthentic. I sometimes joke with my daughter that I'm an influencer, that that's my job. Uh, she doesn't like me saying that. She thinks I'm about as far removed from what an influencer should be uh, as it is possible to be. But actually, the, there's danger in being a leader purely on the basis of your gifts, or worse still, your image. Because at some point you'll come a cropper. And the more gifted you are, or the better you are at managing your image, the worse it will be. Great will be this, the crash thereof. We're seeing it in our public life now, all the time. People have a lot of gifts, but who are, 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 um, are just, they have no strong character whatsoever. And they bring leadership into disrepute. There's a lot more we could say about that. At the ultimate end of good leadership is those who are willing to sacrifice who will actually say, do you know what? I've got this position of influence and I am going to put the needs of those I am influencing ahead of my own. People who do that actually develop forms of influence that the influencers can only dream about. Think of Mother Teresa or Nelson Mandela who've put aside their own agendas to serve the needs of others and in doing so have changed the direction of travel of nations and millions around the world. Next slide please. Now we turn to the Bible. Well here are just some, I don't know what your, if I said to you what was your favourite Bible passage on leadership, maybe one of them up there would be there, maybe you'd think of something else. There is so much on the Bible, in the Bible that's relevant to this. Because the Bible is all about turning us into people of influence. It's all about us following Jesus and better than exerting our own influence through the power of the Spirit, becoming people who influence others for Jesus. Influence the communities we're in. I mean, this is our vision statement that essentially we would be those within whatever community that we're in are building this Christ-like community, this authentic uh, courageous and generous Christian community wherever we go. Not, not just building a central community in the church, certainly want to do that, but that then the principles we're learning about Christian community we take out into our families and our workplaces and we live it out there. Ezekiel 34, that's one of my favourites. It's, it's a, a passage in the New Testament and, and like so often in the Bible, taking the image of shepherds and applying it to leaders. And it talks about shepherds. Uh, the shepherds in Israel, Ezekiel calls out the leaders of his day and say, you are self-serving shepherds. You're not caring for the sheep. You're using the sheep to care for yourselves. And this is the image of ungodly, unacceptable leadership. Self-serving leadership. And then God promises 
It's a messianic promise, prophecy, that he himself will come and shepherd the people. And he will shepherd the people in their interests. And I can't help thinking Jesus had this passage in mind when in John 10, 14, he said, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. In John 13, Jesus himself takes on uh, the form, uh, that takes on the appearance of a servant and he spells out for all time in washing his disciples' feet that authentic leadership serves the people that it is leading. It does not dominate them. In Mark 9 and Mark 10, the disciples are having an argument about who is the greatest leader. It's utterly pathetic. And Jesus, on both occasions, warns them. On one occasion, he takes a child, puts the child among them and says, you want to be a leader? Here's your example. The straightforward trust of a child, the straightforward simplicity of a child, that's what you need. And your aspiration, if you want to be a leader, is to be small. So that Jesus can be big. This is true in your workplace. If you're a leader in the workplace, your aspiration in the end is to bless that workplace such that when you're gone, the workplace thrives and the people thrive. It's true in your family. My aspiration for the family has got to be my life expectancy is shorter than all of the others in our family group because I'm a man, I'm somewhat overweight, and I'm certainly oh, I'm older than the other three. One day they'll have to live without me. My goal is they'll be able to hopefully have some fond memories of me, but be able to live regret-free, thankful, without all sorts of emotional complications. And God willing, my example will have pointed them towards Jesus. Acts 6 uh, is where the church begins to realise its need of leaders beyond just the apostles and that principle set out for all time about how to go about choosing leaders in the church. Uh, just flicking to the last one there, those are fleshed out for us in 1 Timothy 3 amongst other passages. But this morning I want to focus on 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 and parallels in Romans and Ephesians where Paul, faced with the need of growing communities, begins to spell out the way in which every member of the church has a responsibility for the health of the church, and everyone has a role to play in that, but that there are particular roles for leaders. But before we come to look at 1 Corinthians 12 in, in a moment, just want to put up four leaders for you to have a look at. Now, there are lots of different types of leaders, but here's four examples for you. The Queen. She represents inherited leadership, which generally is seen as a bad thing these days. Um, however, she's made a pretty good job of it, I think you'd agree. The IRA killed her uncle, Lord Mountbatten. This week, Sinn Féin congratulated her on her leadership. It put me in mind of Abraham Lincoln, who once said, there's two ways to get rid of your enemies. You either utterly destroy them, or you win them with love. Hmm. Then there's Vladimir Putin. He represents positional leadership with a driving purpose 
that does not consider the human cost. In one sense, he is a servant to the people and he's quite courageous, but unfortunately, it's all in the wrong direction. And he becomes oppressive and in the end, utterly corrupt and distorts what leadership should be, which is to bless the people. So he's leading for a principle rather than people. And it becomes wicked. You know, he typifies a long line through history of leaders who've done the same thing. And bosses at your workplace who are more interested in, um, in their vision of what the workplace should be than they are of the people that work there. Then you've got David Brent. Now, I don't know if you've watched The Office, and if you haven't, I'm not rec really recommending that you do. It's a very painful watch, and it's certainly not edifying. But on the other hand, he really does stand as a, a, an absolute example of weak, self-serving leadership, where instead of actually leading for the health of anyone else, he's leading out of his own insecurity and trying to find reassurance for himself through his, peer, through his, uh, his, his leadership. It's a disaster. He constantly humiliates and embarrasses himself. How many of us know leaders like this? And if we're honest, how many of us can see a little David Brent inside of ourselves? And then to contrast with the last two, and the one in whom the Queen says she finds her inspiration, the Lord Jesus, the ultimate leader. He laid down his life for the sheep. I want to suggest that most leadership theory uh, that's of any quality finds its root actually in the example of Jesus. And if you want to be a person of influence, if you, if you want to be a person of good influence, first step, bow the knee at the cross. Repent of all yourself, repent of your inner Putin and Brent and come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, Make me a leader like you. That would be a great first step for anyone. Well, next slide please. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, we get a few key points about the church community and how leadership should function. And I want to suggest that they're equally applicable to other communities, although obviously you'll need to do a little bit of translation work in your home and in your workplace and in other organisations, communities. The first thing Paul deals with in this community is something that Jesus dealt with among his disciples that is going to happen in any human community, certainly happens in the church, and it's painful and difficult when it raises its head, and that's elitism. And by elitism, I mean the instinct in each of us to say, I want to be more significant than other people. This is the wrong sort of human ambition. I want to be remembered. I want to be esteemed. I want to be uh, respected. Now, nothing wrong with being esteemed and respected, but it's when we start to think in comparison to others. You know, I don't mind if Chris is reasonably popular, but I do not want him... I mean, this is a problem of King Saul, isn't it? He's got this great young leader emerging, David. And rather than thinking, this is fantastic, we're both here to serve Israel, and here comes somebody who can take them on to the next level. He thinks, hmm, 
I like it when people are praising me. I don't like it if they're praising someone else. And, Paul, and this is rife in the Corinthian church. If you read Corinthians, you'll see it's clear. And Paul says, it doesn't matter who you are, the foundation for serving God in the church, for exerting influence in the church, is that you are a Christian, that you confess Jesus as Lord. And if that's who you are, then you have the spirit the same as everybody else, and you are not to start thinking of yourselves as having greater or lesser significance than each other. Where leaders start getting this elitist mindset, the best thing they, in the church or anywhere else, they need to be put down. If it's in you, it's in all of us, you need to humble yourself. Because the elitist will never, ever be the kind of leader that really brings influence. So the first three verses of that chapter that we've looked at is killing elitism. Secondly, in the middle of the passage, Paul says, all gifts, all human gifts and abilities come from the same origin. God. And so, every talent you might have came from God, and so did everybody else's. And so they not only have a common origin, but they also have a common purpose, certainly in the church. And that purpose is to bring God's kingdom into fruition, with its care for the poor, with its love for each other, with its radical commitment to truth and love and growth and life. So if I start thinking like an elitist, what I'm really saying is the gifts that God has given to me, I'm going to use to establish myself as more important than you. Well, that, I mean, that's just ridiculous. And I'm inviting God to put me down and teach me a lesson until I've, I've learnt my lesson. I'm not going to be much use to anyone. So within the church, we seek God, and on a Pentecost Sunday, it's a really good day to be seeking God for gifts. There's nothing wrong with desiring gifts. There's nothing wrong. In fact, on the contrary, we should be ambitious. We'll come to that in a moment, to be serving God effectively. But never in order to exalt ourselves. Now, there is a thought in church life, in the Christian life, of going to the other extreme of saying, oh, I'm ever so humble, I haven't really got any gifts, I've got no abilities, I, I, I have nothing to offer. That equally is wrong. Everyone is called by God to play their part. So on the one hand, we're not going to be elitists and trying to elevate ourselves. On the other hand, we will say to God, well, I'm only here for a little while, I want to play my part so that when I'm off the stage and I'm with you then, uh, Lord, in heaven, departed to be with Christ, I will have left the church uh, a better place for, my, for me having been there. I'll have left the other communities I'm involved in a better place. I'll have pointed people towards Jesus. I'd have been an effective servant of the kingdom of God. So everyone's got a role to play, but nobody should be playing that role to draw attention to themselves. All right. Could I, that's the lesson of 1 Corinthians. So a few practical points as we finish. Steps to being 
a good influencer in the church, with apologies to my daughter, who, uh, who doesn't think any of us look like influencers. Um, firstly, it seems to me if all gifts come from God, which is clearly taught in the New Testament, clearly taught in that passage, if they're all gifts of God's Spirit, then the first thing we have to do, particularly if we're young, is pray that God would give us the gifts that he wants us to have. And secondly, pray, if we have gifts and we know what they are, that God would develop them and strengthen them, right? And also pray for the character so that actually we wouldn't find ourselves getting into a position of influence because we're gifted, only to crash and burn because our character let us down, right? And Pentecost Sunday seems like a very good Sunday to be praying that the Spirit would give you gifts or strengthen the gifts you've got or help you to form character. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you during the last couple of songs, if you want to, to come forward um, and, and receive prayer. Now, you can come at the end of the service when no one's looking, but I do think God sometimes honours a step of humility where in full vision of the church, you come and say, yeah, I need God's help. I'll kick off with that, right? So that if you decide to take that step of humility, you won't be the only one. I'll have done it first. Secondly, it's really important you know yourself. Some of the most troublesome people in life are people who think they're good at something that they're no good at. Um, I used to know one of, the, one of the people I worked with once was like, had some responsibility with Spring Harvest, which is one of the sort of big Christian festivals. And he said every year he gets letters from people who say, God's told me that I'm to be the main speaker this year at Spring Harvest. And, and that, you know, you just think, the crowning madness of somebody who really thinks that they're going to get that opportunity by writing a letter. You know, I, I lead a church of 15 people. It used to be 30 until I took over. But I really feel what needs to happen is I need to be given this opportunity. And, and almost people who, who approach things like that, they've lost their opportunity before they've even started. The f humility is critical in leaders if they're going to be good leaders. And by humility, I don't mean thinking less of yourself, thinking of yourself less, being less self-absorbed. David Brent is pathetic because his whole leadership is focused on himself. Ah, yes, pursue growth. Couldn't see that with my glasses on. Um, all of us should, should be pursuing, I think, that we would grow as leaders. I don't care if you're 85, 95. Do you want to have influence while you're here for Jesus? Of course you do. Sometimes older people can have influence that younger people can only dream of, even in our culture, which has a cult of youth. Never give up and be pursuing growth in your gifts, in your character, all the time asking God, please, I want while I'm here to make an impression for you, Jesus. In my family, in my workplace, in the church, everywhere I go, give me the gifts I need. More importantly still, give me the character I need. Be clear about your goals. What are you actually trying to do in life? Rick Warren wrote that book, didn't he? The Purpose Driven Life. It has its shortcomings, but the basic thesis is very sound. 
we should be clear what we're trying to achieve in life. But what has God called you to do? Do it. Don't scatter your energies into a hundred different things. Get focused on a few things that God has called you to do and do them to the best of your ability, prayerfully and humbly. And within that, once you're clear about your goals, be courageous and ambitious. Nothing wrong with being ambitious. As long as it's not ambitious to exalt yourself. Being ambitious to see the world turned towards Jesus, that is a very good ambition. Being ambitious for love and purity and goodness in your family, good ambition. Have a radical commitment to the truth. This is something I've had to learn as a minister and I'm just beginning to learn. It's very tempting when you're a leader to smooth over difficulties to keep the peace. I've definitely been guilty of it. I've got a bit of the gift of the gab and I can sometimes avoid dealing with things with, the, with some clever verbal footwork. If you look at Jesus, he just gave it to people. People sometimes portray Jesus as kind of ultra nice. He certainly was not. I wonder if they've ever read the Bible. He would just tell it like it was to people. Now, he did it in love. Leaders must speak the truth to people. I pray uh, very regularly a simple prayer, Lord, I will speak the truth if you'll help me. Because sometimes you have to swallow really hard. Paul says the community that is led and, uh, and develops a culture of speaking the truth in love will grow to maturity. And the opposite is also true. Where people are not told the truth, they remain immature. And rather than speaking the truth in love, very often in our churches, we speak lies out of weakness. Hmm. And finally, leaders need to be accountable and prepared to apologise. You don't get to be a leader and not at times just have to very humbly apologize to people because you will mess up because you're human. Those are my steps to influencing well. We're gonna worship, we're gonna praise Jesus who is the ultimate leader. We continue to thank God and have in our minds the example of the queen, imperfect, but she has led, I think, very well for a very long time.